This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Democracy in the house in the city. Vote, vote, vote. Raise up your hands and vote, vote, vote. You better take a stand in. In the United States, our democracy depends on the voters. The voters are the last word, the bottom line, and that is what has always made America special. And until Donald Trump, most voters trusted the process. We never would have imagined Russia meddling in our elections unless Donald had opened the door to it. We never would have called the election results of swing state after swing state rigged until Donald Trump opened his big fat lying trap and made voters doubt the process. I had never been uh, to to a protest event before, Mm -hmm. uh, before the 2020 presidential election. I got completely consumed. It took over my life. For three months, I slept in my car. I traveled from rally to rally, from stop to still event to stop to still event, for three months sleeping in my car, going to see the evidence, and then I had to recover. And now here we are, in the dead middle of the midterm primaries, and you wouldn't know it. One of Trump's endorsed candidates said right before her election that she was already detecting some stealing going on. Completely unsubstantiated, mind you. Carrie Lake, who right now is leading the Arizona Republican gubernatorial race, that nomination, she says she's already won. She's held a news conference uh, saying that she has won, that she's already declaring victory, despite the fact that she is leading just by a hair. She says that she still believes the 2020 election was stolen, uh, that Donald Trump should be the president. Do I hate that an election denier like Carrie Lake is anywhere near the levers of power? Yes, absolutely. But do I believe that our elections are sound and still reflect the will of the people? You bet I do. And there is no greater example of how our process works than what just happened in Kansas. Really proud of Kansans um, for, you know, against the odds, sort of speaking up for themselves. Joy. Just pure joy. I didn't know it would feel like this, but I'm just um, so grateful and just overjoyed in this moment right now that we did what Kansas needed us to do. I did not look forward to trusting the legislature to protect the rights of my wife if her life was threatened. And this amendment would have effectively given them complete control over that situation, and that's crazy. A referendum on abortion that Republicans tried to bury deep in a summer primary was the first real test to the rogue Supreme Court's inhumane ruling to overturn Roe versus Wade and resulted in record turnouts in Ruby Red, Kansas that proved what we knew all along. Americans overwhelmingly support a woman's right to manage her own health care. Kansas will not amend its constitution to take away safe and legal abortion rights because the people have spoken and they don't fucking want it. Primaries were held in five states tonight, but in Kansas, voters weighed in on another hot button issue. We wanted to only make abortion illegal but unthinkable. I believe strongly that women need to have this choice for themselves. 
For the first time since the overturning of Roe v. Wade, abortion on the ballot. Kansans voting to keep constitutional abortion protections that allow most abortions up to 22 weeks, a rare instance where citizens, not just legislators, have a say in their state's abortion laws. Poorly worded and tough to understand, the proposed amendment tried to confuse voters and play them for fools. The Catholic Church put out tweets and texts claiming that yes meant no and no meant yes, but God bless the voters in Kansas. Many crossing over party lines, some just single-issue voters who may or may not be pro-choice but were definitely anti-extremism, and despite the millions spent to hoodwink the good people of Kansas, they saw right through the crap and delivered a win for the whole country. I mean, what a relief, but we still have a lot more to deal with. As detailed in our complaint, Idaho's law would make it a criminal offense for doctors to provide the emergency medical treatment that federal law requires. Although the Idaho law provides an exception to prevent the death of a pregnant woman, it includes no exception for cases in which the abortion is necessary to prevent serious jeopardy to the woman's health. Moreover, it would subject doctors to arrest and criminal prosecution even if they performed an abortion to save a woman's life, and it would then place the burden on the doctors to prove that they are not criminally liable. Idaho, the state where extremists go to dig bunkers and join religious cults, has decided that the Department of Justice has no business interfering in their fanaticism. But based on matters of life, death, and Idaho's extreme abortion ban, the DOJ has filed a lawsuit that the Idaho state government has chosen to ignore. The DOJ's lawsuit contends that Idaho's trigger law is a violation of the Federal Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act because it preemptively criminalizes all abortion, even where a denial of care will likely result in the death of the patient, according to U.S. Associate Attorney General Vanita Gupta. In the wake of Dobbs, the Justice Department established the Reproductive Rights Task Force and to formalize our ongoing work to protect reproductive freedom. One critical focus of the task force has been assessing the fast-changing landscape of state laws and evaluating potential responses to infringements on federal protections. Today's lawsuit against the state of Idaho for its near-absolute abortion ban is the first public example of this work in action. Unfortunately, Idaho's politicians responded to the lawsuit not with cogent legal arguments, but with mumbo-jumbo about state sovereignty, federal meddling, and claims that the lawsuit is politically motivated. When in fact, it's Idaho's response to the lawsuit that's politically motivated. The DOJ is behaving like the adults in the room, informing Idaho that it's breaking the law and killing women in the process. It, it could get sticky here if the state Supreme Court says one thing and the federal government comes in and they say another thing. Now, there is a supremacy clause yeah. where, in, in theory, the federal law is supposed to take you know, precedent. But we'll see. This is going to get very messy. Um, the truth is that we're at an intersection of politics and, and legalese in terms of the federal case against the state. We'll have to wait and watch, though. This lawsuit seeks to protect medical providers from being thrown in jail for providing necessary medical care to their patients. 
but Idaho's far-right state government is fucking hell-bent on maintaining women as second-class citizens and forced baby makers. Those of us in the majority support this legislation because it's the morally right thing to do, but it also is very, very true that uh, having a growing population and having uh, new children brought into the world uh, is not harmful to job creation. It very much promotes job creation for all the care and services and so on that uh, uh, need to be provided by a lot of people uh, to, to raise children. This is where Merrick Garland needs to throw down the gauntlet and fucking demand that Idaho follow the law or pay the price. Because if we let one state off the hook, others will definitely follow. And I'll say this, Democrats need to drive the abortion issue straight to the ballot box. Abortion is an economic issue and the Republicans' radical agenda to ban abortion and reproductive rights is in direct opposition to the will and welfare of the American people. President Joe Biden has set the tone for our administration from the very beginning. From the time that an opinion was leaked to the time the Dobbs decision came down. And our president has been a leader in saying that the women of America should be protected. Their right to make decisions about their own bodies should be a matter that we all defend, understanding that the government should not be in the business of making those decisions for the women of America. Biden can sign all the executive orders he wants, but he alone can't restore the nationwide right to abortion. That will have to be done at the ballot box. So like they did in Kansas, show the fucking bastards that the voters are still in charge. And now moving on. I'm not one to root against the home team, but Democrats are playing a dangerous game by helping some seriously unfit characters win Republican primaries. Michael Perutka, he also won the Republican nomination. Now Perutka is a Christian nationalist who ran on opposing abortion, protecting gun rights, and prosecuting officials who, quote, have violated the God-given liberties of Marylanders. To sharpen this image of Christian nationalism for you a little bit more, this is a guy who founded the Institute on the Constitution, which believes, and again, I'm quoting here, there is a God, our rights come from him, the purpose of civil government is to secure and protect our God-given rights. That is the kind of candidate who is now on the ballot for state office in the great state of Maryland. And perhaps thanks in part to some well-funded Democratic ads, he's in good company. I know the idea is that it's easier for Democrats to run against flawed candidates and election deniers, but there are no guarantees that Democrats will win critical races like the one in Michigan against Trump-backed John Gibbs. The Harvard-educated Gibbs doesn't fit the idiotic fucking mold of most election deniers. He's experienced, well-spoken, and he just ousted Republican incumbent Peter Meyer, who was one of only 10 Republicans who voted to impeach Trump after January 6th. But the abysmal trifecta of dim-witted MAGAs who won in Arizona, Mark Fincham, Blake Masters, and the aforementioned Carrie Lake are literally gearing up to reinstate Trump. 
Lake said of her Democratic challenger, former Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, that she should be imprisoned for protecting voter integrity in 2020. Tonight, the Republican primary for governor in Arizona is too close to call. But candidate Carrie Lake says it's over. We are so proud of our movement. We are so proud of the victory we have. The former TV anchor, supported by President Trump, is a leading voice among skeptics of the 2020 election results. We're going to take a sledgehammer to these damn electronic voting machines. Her opponent, Karen Taylor Robeson, hasn't conceded, also won't say whether President Biden won in 2020. The one thing I know for certain is the wrong guy is in the White House. Trump-backed election deniers like the GOP choice for Senate, Blake Masters, did well across Arizona Tuesday night. In the fight to oversee state elections as Secretary of State, Republicans chose Mark Fincham, who was in Washington on January 6th and said he wouldn't have certified the 2020 results. Well, when, you, when you steal something, that's not really a win. That's a fraud. Elections experts are worried these types of candidates could be victorious in November. These election deniers in offices that oversee elections or have some responsibility for the democratic process in those states could work substantially to try to undermine that process and create chaos and confusion. The anti-Semitic Peter Thiel-backed Blake Masters will run against Mark Kelly and probably lose. But Fincham, a flat-out QAnon crazy, could become Secretary of State. You know, the guy who controls the elections. We still can't be sure which way the wind will blow in Arizona. I mean, it's a crucial battleground state or what the national mood will be in November. But if Biden's approval ratings are still in the tank, it will be an uphill climb for Democrats, especially in the House. And a minor update. Missouri dumped deadbeat Eric Wrighton and the other Eric, Eric Schmidt, won his primary for Senate. Trump, in a move that personifies his cowardice, simply endorsed Eric. Well, which one? Truth? Who the fuck cares? They both support Trump and the big lie. China has launched several ballistic missiles into water surrounding Taiwan after Beijing announced the start of live fire military drills. The exercise has come after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan in a controversial trip that sparked condemnation and fury in Beijing. Nancy Pelosi landed in Taiwan and left half a day later. And despite all of Tucker Carlson's hand-rigging and pearl-clutching, she did not start World War III. Okay, maybe she destabilized the region some, but she effectively reminded the world that the United States is still committed to democracy. And while we're fine with China's saber-rattling and incredulity, we won't just stand by and let them take Taiwan the way Russia is trying to take Ukraine. So good on Biden for not standing in her way. The president is on a winning streak lately, and there's nothing quite so satisfying as watching him take out the world's most notorious terrorist, Al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zawahiri in Afghanistan, while laid up with COVID-19. Also satisfying, the Honorable Judge Gamble eviscerating that fucking moron Alex Jones during his Sandy Hook trial. Take a listen. Far right-wing commentator and man who makes Donald Trump look like a reasonable human being is currently on trial for spreading lies about the Sandy Hook shooting, right? Saying that it was all a hoax. And today in the trial, one of the funniest moments came when he found out that his inept lawyer had screwed up and sent the prosecution evidence that proved Alex Jones 
committed perjury. Mr. Jones, did you know that 12 days ago, 12 days ago, your attorneys messed up and sent me an entire digital copy of your entire cell phone with every text message you've sent for the past two years, and when informed, did not take any steps to identify it as privileged or protected in any way. And as of two days ago, it fell free and clear into my possession. And that is how I know you lied to me when you said you didn't have text messages about Sandy Hook. Did you know that? I mean, I was mistaken. I was mistaken. But you, you got the messages right there. I mean, I'm, I'm not a tech guy. I told you I gave in my testimony the phone to the lawyers before or whatever. And, and so you got my phone, but we didn't give it to you. No, Mr. Jones. He was so shocked, he started turning into every emoji. He was like... As we reported last week, everyone who was anyone involved in the conspiracy to overthrow the 2020 election erased their text messages in and around January 6th. The Pentagon now says they too have erased emails and texts from on and around that date. According to The Guardian, the Department of Defense and the Army admitted in court filings to American Oversight that the phone messages of senior Trump officials were wiped after the administration handover. Okay, let's start with the number two Democrat in the Senate now calling on the Department of Defense to open an internal investigation into missing texts from key officials in and around January 6th. In a letter yesterday, Majority Whip and Judiciary Committee Chairman Dick Durbin of Illinois asked the DOD's Inspector General to launch a probe into the deleted communications of several Trump appointed officials who were tasked with deploying the National Guard during the Capitol attack. The letter reads in part, the disappearance of this critical information could jeopardize efforts to learn the full truth about January 6th. I don't know whether the failure to preserve these critical government texts is the result of bad faith, stunning incompetence, or outdated records management policies, but we must get to the bottom of it. For those playing along at home, that makes the Secret Service, Homeland Security, and now the Army and the Pentagon, who have erased evidence that could shed light on why the National Guard took so long to get to the Capitol while it was under siege. But if reports are correct, the January 6th committee is currently getting to the bottom of said evidence dump, and the smart money is on Liz Cheney. Speaking of money, Kevin Costner just came out in support of Liz, which just might help her save her seat from the dunces running against her in Wyoming. Kevin Costner's... Kevin Costner's endorsing Liz Cheney? Well, that's where my vote's going. No. No, we're not doing that. I'm not doing it anyway. Well, Kevin Costner has come out. Now, of course, he films Yellowstone. They shoot Yellowstone up in Wyoming. Makes me think Taylor Sheridan is truly the brains behind that entire operation. The Liz Cheney's of the world, we gotta get rid of them. And in yet another January 6th insurrection twist, Pat Cipollone had been subpoenaed to testify before a grand jury. Further evidence that the DOJ is ramping up its efforts to charge Trump and company for any number of crimes related to the 2020 election. You'll recall it was Cipollone who said, if we go up there, they will charge us with every crime imaginable. From your mouth to God's ears, Pat. From your mouth to God's ears. I saw Mr. Cipollone right before I walked out onto West Exec that morning. 
And Mr. Cipollone said something to the effect of, please make sure we don't go up to the Capitol, Cassidy. Keep in touch with me. We're going to get charged with every crime imaginable if we make that movement happen. And do you remember which crimes Mr. Cipollone was concerned with? In the days leading up to the six, we had conversations about potentially obstructing justice or defrauding the electoral count. And now for the main event. Today we welcome back to our show our good friend Harry Lippman, who recently said, and I'll quote, that Merrick Garland doesn't lie and that the DOJ will be able to safely conclude that Trump's conduct constitutes a federal crime or crimes and that a conviction is probable. Very good news indeed from a guy who knows what he's talking about. Littman was a former U.S. attorney and deputy assistant attorney general and is currently the legal affairs columnist for the Los Angeles Times opinion page and professor of constitutional law at UCLA and UCSD. He can be seen as a legal and political commentator on CBS, NPR, MSNBC, and CNN. Littman is also the creator and host of the Talking Feds podcast, which is a must-listen for its sharp analysis of the myriad of corruptions, crimes, and moral failures of the Trump era and beyond. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Harry, I heard you say recently that the January 6th committee should subpoena Mark Meadows again. Do you think he's starting to sweat especially since it's looking like Trumpland is trying to pin the blame for the entire insurrection on him. I mean, he has the goods. What happens if he's subpoenaed and again refuses to comply? Well, then it's an open and shut contempt case. Remember, he uh, he was able to slip through it. Uh, and I think the way he was able to slip through it is because he argued that there was this so-called testimonial immunity and DOJ has disavowed that now. But we're talking about putting somebody, you know, in the pokey. And so if they have a good faith defense of that sort, that would that would make the DOJ hesitant to actually challenge their liberty. Now, this was just last Friday. He he uh, brought this this separate action as Trump world folks are wont to do in federal court. And DOJ answered it by saying, "We've thought it over. Now he doesn't have testimonial immunity. He's got quali- It's qualified. He should um, now testify. But that's just in court. So he'll 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 argue." Uh, the di- and we'll go the district court, court of appeals, and potentially the Supreme Court. They'll they'll probably turn this one down. So it'll be a while until it's established. But once it is, uh, and once that proposition of law is out there, then I you know they they re-subpoena him. He's got nothing to say, not not a leg to stand on, and he'd be in in Steve Bannon land or where Steve Bannon now is. He'd be looking at a conviction. And, you know, maybe a little time in jail, but also that's a body blow for somebody like him who wants to be a Washington player going forward. And I will just say, yeah, everything we learn makes him seem like the pivotal guy, the guy who knows the most, but also who's most 
involved at least you know among among the white house types now i'm leaving aside here stone and flynn and team crazy um so he would be the guy i think to really try to leverage and one more thing i um Remember, he started out of the gate by trying to cooperate a little, and then he he withdrew. I think his lawyer, he's a good lawyer, George Terwilliger, knows that he's he's in a very fragile position. And I think now having having gone in intransigent, I, I, you know, the the justice system and, and particularly the DOJ is not done with Mark Meadows yet, is my view. Okay, so here's the problem. Yeah, how long are we expecting yeah. the January sixth committee? to stay, you know, front and center. How many more of these hearings are we expecting before which they finally put out their ultimate report? Because you nailed it, Harry. When you turn around and you said, it's going to go afterwards to the Court of Appeals, and then ultimately, you know, it'll go on appeal, then to the Court of Appeals, and then ultimately to the Supreme Court. I mean, what's the time period on something like that? That could be anywhere if it's expedited. Minimum six months. You got do, it. Do we even have? Do we even have the January sixth committee going to be impaneled for six months? Because one thing we know, come November time, if in fact the House changes, which it's expected that it will, they're going to put an end to this January sixth committee. That's my opinion. It's, especially that's, that's if they fact. ultimately, yeah, right. Especially if they, and especially if they take the Senate too, then it's then it's definitely dead, you know, on arrival. So yeah. the question then becomes: We will never get the information from a man who is as close to the action as anybody. Look, we have also testimony from people like this young lady, Jennifer Lawrence, and her boyfriend, uh, Dustin, I always forget his last name, Mm -hmm. suffice it to say that they provided information that Mark Meadows was communicating with the Kramers (laughs) using burner phones on the outside. Why are we just sitting back and accepting this bad democratic behavior, especially from a guy who was chief of staff, all on the the guise that he's entitled to immunity as a former chief of staff and that he does not have to testify despite the fact that this landmark decision, right, that just came down uh, states that. Once an advisor to a president leaves the office, that they are not absolutely immune from congressional subpoenas. They're going to win anyway. Yeah, that's what the DOJ just wrote. Well, uh, unfortunately, I got to answer this question, and like many questions out there, on two different paths. So for the committee, they, you know, they, they took... A real hit, and there, and because of the um, disregard that Hall of Team Trump has shown them, they're forced into this harsh calculus. They had to bring the contempt case against Meadows, which he was able to beat, as you point out. Um, and the cost of that was he's out of their purview. He they can't even talk about him now because they're in litigation, and their calculus was we need to do this in order to make other people cooperate. I think you are right that by the time he runs through the system, the committee might be, uh, you know, already have been put to bed because I think the committee 
uh, is taking on board your estimate of the timeline, meaning they're working backwards from a report no later than the lame duck period, I think more likely before the election. I think they're already writing it. So that's so I think you're right. Meadows winds up not having to raise his right hand in front of the committee. Then there's the department and that you have to measure differently and they can't be jerked around with in the same way, et cetera. So the you know, once it may be not that uh, that it's after his litigation with the committee runs its course. But, um, you know, because there are some principles that are sort of overlapping here, but that's going to have to be the recourse, I think, on Mark Meadows. And that's really unsatisfying to a lot of people there. That's, I think, the source of the um, the the real uh, criticism of Garland and DOJ. They want them to move kind of in the same timeline as the committee. And that's not happening and, you know, is not going to happen. Well, that's. It's wrong, right? So the Department of Justice put their brief out, right, which concluded, um, you know, that advisors like Mark Meadows only retain that qualified immunity. And I fully believe that there should be. But that's if the president is still sitting in office, right? Here, after, and their brief concluded that after the president, that they served leaves office and that such immunity can be overcome by Congress if lawmakers prove that they need the information at issue. And here DOJ and says it, it is else. overcome. DOJ didn't yes, just say to yes. test. They said Meadows needs to testify. That's right. Yeah, I mean, they pointed specifically to Cassidy Hutchinson's uh, recent testimony and that Mark Meadows' name certainly came up more than once and that he was there in the room for certain things. And the fact that he's going to be able to skate by, it just goes to show you that justice is not equal in this country. Rest assured, Harry, if this was you who was being subpoenaed to come in and you didn't, and you weren't part of government for whatever the reason, you know, might be that they wanted to speak to you, you would already be in contempt, like Bannon, but you would already either be incarcerated or you would already have testified. Yeah, and I've talked they to them. Have, right. They've done this from yes. way back when, and, and you know, John Bolton uh, and, well, you know, Trump himself, and they, they have treated... Congress's subpoena power as sort of, you know, precatory or a pretty please thing. It's not. It never happened before. And they've gotten away with it. Um, And it's scandalous. All that's all that's true. Um, And now we're we're hitting the now. But I just want to say again, Meadows was a big hit that way and they knew they were they were taking it but they didn't see any other um way to go he to me is the single most important witness he could probably bring with truthful testimony bring trump uh down and you know he's he's the one i think that and again not in the timeline that a lot of people desire but he's the guy i think that the doj will be looking to really you know bring the pressure to and really squeeze but then again you know you and i have had this conversation on several occasions (laughs) where my my feelings for the doj 
are somewhat more critical Dated, than yeah. yours. <laughs> That's true. Right? <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Yeah. But interestingly enough, Harry, not to bring the power people onto the mea culpa Michael Cohen side, the select committee members are fucking furious at the department's decision not to prosecute Meadows, right? You know, and they're and they've been urging the DOJ to provide more clarity about its rationale. Right. They have not done anything like this. I mean, they have just sort of gone on their merry way. And here's the problem. The problem is that under Trump's DOJ, there was no chance in the world that they were ever going to be able to get somebody like Mark Meadows to sit in that chair with his right hand up. It just wasn't going to happen because this piece of shit Bill Barr would do nothing that would anger his Fuhrer. So therefore, under the Republican Trump administration, this entire investigation would be over now. It would be dead and buried. We all thought now that it's a Democratic White House, right, and that the, that the attorney general appointed by President Biden, being a Democrat, that they would actually move this thing in the proper manner quickly, expeditiously to ensure that the information that the committee, which is bipartisan, despite the fact it's not the bipartisan that Trump would want, it's a bipartisan committee they want and they need information, but they're still not getting it. So under the Trump administration, DOJ, no chance. And then under the Biden administration, DOJ, there's no chance. What? This isn't justice, my man. I hear you. But, um, we don't know that, Michael. Look, it's 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 opaque that with the uh, DOJ under Biden is honest. The DOJ under Trump was dishonest. So they leaked like sieves. We, there's definitely stuff they are doing. They've convened two grand juries. And we're in, in addition to the whole huge operation, biggest in DOJ history of the 850 some insurrectionists, a couple hundred of which, by the way, they still haven't identified, which is pretty astonishing to me. Um, but we you know, we know there are a couple grand juries. We know that they've they've served subpoenas and gotten everything from Eastman and Clark. We know they, they've uh, served subpoenas and gotten special focus on the phony electors. We know they've served subpoenas and gotten information on Sidney Powell. And all of those, I think, in the standard playbook of the DOJ is, you know, working up. Now, people are criticizing a, uh, a really well-respected guy, Andrew Weissman. I'm, you, I'm sure you remember him from Mueller saying, you know what? They shouldn't be going up the run like this. They should conceptualize this case a little bit different as all these sort of interlocking conspiracies. And they, you know, they shouldn't feel they have to plottingly go ahead. That's a solid argument, but one that I think is in front of them. But the idea um, that, you know, they're not they're not doing squat. Um, it, it, it just I don't think it's borne out. Now, look, it's true that if if it were really heated in a certain way with certain people, we we probably would know about it just because defendants come out of the grand jury or witnesses and they talk. Um, and so it, it is a little bit um, opaque to us, as I say, but it's just wrong to suppose that the, that the whole huge political aspect of it, uh, they're just getting a pass in the DOJ on. So let me then expand yeah. on my first question, yeah. because what happens if the January 6th committee wraps up 
you know, wraps the whole thing up after the next hearing. All right. And, you know, considering the evidence that they have now, and you are spot on, they've spoken to a thousand people. They have a million yeah. sets of documents. Is there enough to finally prosecute anyone? And I don't want to hear from people that, oh, you know, we got the head of the Oath Keepers. Oh, we got, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, 600, you know, yeah. uh, insurrectionists that stormed the Capitol. With all due respect to that, fuck you. All right. Not interested. These are not the people that anyone that I know talking about this in social, right, in proper social circles. We're not interested in some low-level moron that followed the president's orders and went into the Capitol, right? You know, in terms of, yes, yes, they should be prosecuted, and yes, they are. But that's not what we're talking about. They're not the January 6th insurrection. They're the insurrectionists. But let's not forget about They're the, the foot soldiers, not the general. Organized. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. right. You know, if we're going to put this in a mafia, in a mafia, um, and why know, not pl really? playbook? Don Donald is the Don mm -hmm. for sure. All right, and then you have all of the you know the bosses, and that's where Meadows fits in. Ivanka, Jared, Don Jr., Kimberly Gargoyle, Rudy Kaludi, you know, um, Sidney Powell, all these folks, you know, uh, Jim Jordan, you know, Josh Hawley, all of these folks that were participating in the day before at the hotel. Um, these are the, you know, these are the, the bosses. These are the ones that we all want to see indicted. These are the ones that we want to see held accountable for what they did. Yeah, the foot soldiers, absolutely. They too need to be held responsible. But there's no way in the world that we should all turn around and say, great job, Merrick Garland, DOJ, for you know indicting and incarcerating a bunch of these low-level idiots, right, that did something stupid, you know, in the name of their Fuhrer. It just, it shouldn't be. So my estimation, Michael, of your question, do, would they have enough if they just took all this stuff? And they'll get it, by the way. The uh, the committee is wanting to kind of protect things because they want to have their own. And it's been very successful, sort of dramatic pace and really protect against leaks and unveil the blockbuster, uh, you know, new um, evidence when they have it. But if they if and they will hand it all over, is is there enough to um, indict some really big players? My estimation is, oh, yeah. And up to and including Donald Trump, former president of the United States. Now, we've said about Trump uh, and I, there's just no way around it. And we can you know, we can talk about it separately. But we said about Trump that that final decision won't be just evidence based. There'll be a lot of stuff in the balance of good of the country, et cetera. But I think you make a really good point because I there's the all the president's man point. And yes, I think they're they've they are developing very good evidence against some of them. The department will be much better positioned with real subpoena power and and the ability to make people cooperate by holding big uh uh you know criminal sentences over their head. Uh, but, yeah, I think some of the um, president's um, men are going down. I think they already have Trump. As I say, you know, they'll 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 think about other things down the line. I think they already have Trump on a couple charges here. Uh, and this is the thing I was just writing about yesterday. Actually, there's one really big thing that they haven't developed. A lot of people are saying, you know, they're out front of everything. Where is the department? 
I think it's important that uh, if and when, if and when, what can I tell you, Merrick Garland brings charges, that it's the charge that fits best for, you know, in terms of how society views Trump's actions. So we've got this parlor game of late with all the evidence. What about manslaughter on my bingo card? What about destruction of U.S. property, et cetera? No, what you want is the most serious charge that fits what he really did. And to me, if you can make it, and I, my sense is they need more, but they can make it, that is seditious conspiracy. The whole idea that a former president mm -hmm. is guilty of seditious conspiracy, you know, makes your head do a 360. And they've got a lot of stuff to indicate, you know, as you say, Trump was trying to foment it. A lot of people knew Bannon saying the night before, all hell's going to break loose. They have not yet proffered, and we'll see, Thursday's their big chance, but that's going to focus, you know, on, after the riots begun on the actual agreement. You, you know, you know this from the practice of law. You could try to prove it circumstantially, but not here. You know, this is sort of a corollary to if you shoot the king, you better take him out. They want the cooperating witness like Mark Meadows to say, yep. Trump said we got to go in, you know, and 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 this is and that's a, an agreement. And now we have seditious conspiracy. The committee hasn't gotten to that point yet. Now, if they never do, there's more to be said about about Trump. There's, you know, very strong evidence of um, of of a of actually inciting a riot. There's certainly very strong evidence of obstructing the proceedings and in a similar way of fraud on the on the U.S. But all that, I think, took a big uh, turn when Cassidy Hutchinson testified. And you now saw the fact of the matter, which is Trump is way into uh, not just aware of, but orchestrating the violence, which is the most serious thing. And that's the thing I think they want to nail him for. And there's a very big piece of the puzzle that the um, the committee probably won't be able to supply, but that's, they've supplied plenty else, including all these, you know, it's gonna be really interesting on Thursday. Who's gonna testify? We know it's gonna be new people. Uh, all the, it's not gonna be Mark Meadows who says, here's what he's doing for those three hours. Uh, and I, I think they're just people in and around, you know this uh, better than I do, you know, in and around a president, giving him cheeseburgers or whatever. And they're just part of the furniture to him. But now they can come forward and say, oh, yeah, I, he, he was looking at the TV and he was laughing. He was laughing. You know, that okay, if that so comes from the assuming, likes of a low level assuming, person, that's really that's really vivid. Right. Sorry, go ahead. Except here's the big but here's the big problem. Yeah. I enjoyed very much the theatrics with Cassidy Hutchinson yeah. and, you know, and most of these uh, witnesses that came there. But I think you have to acknowledge, and I've listened to pundit after pundit on television. <laughs> oh, no, not about, those guys. You know, we, we have, yeah, we have the evidence against uh -huh. Donald Trump uh -huh. for, you know, for sedition uh, and, and conspiracy to commit sedition mm -hmm. and so on, treason. Everything that came out of Cassidy Hutchinson's mouth is hearsay, all right? That's why Mark Meadows is so relevant, because it's no longer hearsay. It's like when I stood up and I stated to the House Oversight Committee, nothing that I'm going to tell you is something that I heard, like Cassidy is a fly on the wall. Now, she's a wonderful she was a wonderful witness very credible. Um, yeah. for them. She, very credible because what was she doing? She was basically giving context. Mm 
to all of the emails, text messages, voice recordings, etc. The videos that other people, and she was there, and to the stuff that she was there, she testified and corroborated the evidence that was already there. It's not, it's all circumstantial. Now, yeah, when you're talking about Congress, circumstantial evidence is certainly enough within which to create an indictment. But once that goes to court, all that circumstantial evidence is horseshit. No one's going to convict Donald Trump on circumstantial evidence. You know, they need the proof. And that's why all of this is so relevant in terms of getting the people like Mark Meadows. And the thing that I find, and many people, most of my listeners find extremely, extremely frustrating, is we are now one year since the formation of the January 6th committee. One year, and who do we have as indicted? Again, these bunch of foot soldiers, these fucking halfwits that were running around thinking that they're going to take over, they're going to be Donald Trump's paramilitary, that they're going to create Gilead and so on, and that they're finally going to be considered somebodies in the world. Okay, great. Like I said, put these maniacs away. That's fine. But none of the big guys, so far after a year, a thousand people spoken with and testimony from and a million sets of documents. Where are all these? Where are all the real? Where are the real players? Yeah. Where, where are they? OK, so, well, we know where they are. They're in front of our faces. But look, it's great frustration to people. But this is this is the way the DOJ works. Let's go to Watergate. Right. Mitchell, Haldeman, Ehrlichman, they go to jail. But in like 74 75, you know, the DO, the DOJ does go through things, um, um, you know, methodically. But the people are in front of us. I want to say one point about the hearsay, Michael. Unless, and Cassidy, by the way, Hutchinson. Harry, unless your name, yeah. ha, ha, Harry, unless your name is Michael Cohen. All right. Then if then it's lightning. It's, we got the Michael hours. Cohen exception principle, right? Damn oh, good thing. Fair enough. <laughs> right, no, um, that's a that's a broader conversation, of course. Um, but look, uh, on the hearsay point. You can consider hearsay in a grand jury, and a lot of the hearsay, if it comes from the mouth of Trump, is no longer or any co-conspirator, any co-conspirator is not hearsay because that's just how it's defined. So a lot of our stuff actually would be probative. But you're right; we need, and this is, you know, you're echoing what I'm saying. They, for all, they've sort of put it in front of our face what happened, and I think on Thursday they're gonna you know, really stitch it up and, and make it more nuanced and complex. But at the end of the day, DOJ is thinking, OK, how do I take how do I prove this element to a jury? How do I get by this legal principle, et cetera? And that's something that's, you know, takes some time. And not to mention, you're right, if they stopped at the 850, I'm, I won't call them schmucks because they were terrorists. But if they stopped there, it would be. Uh, a great injustice, but they got to start there. It's the big, you know, or they they can't ignore them. It's the biggest, uh, you know, the people who actually um, stormed the Capitol with weapons, et cetera. And that was the biggest uh, investigation DOJ has um, ever done. So they did have this big operation to do. I just think it keeps coming down. First, this unfortunate political fact you've pointed out too. people are scared. Oh, does Everything changed once uh, January comes if the R's are in, are in power and it changes in Congress, but not in DOJ. But just the feeling of, come on, you know, why does it take so, so long? But, you know, the answer is look at 
look at history in any similar situation. I do want to, again, um, you know, Andrew Weissman, he got, it's a very interesting article. I'm sure they're thinking about it. There are ways to go about it differently that might involve sort of pole vaults over these, you know, rungs in the ladder. But at the, the a short um, summary of what I was just saying about they're not having the agreement, they really are going to need to crack somebody. You know, I think they'll have a lot to okay, uh, so, operate with. Right. So, but, but you know, the and and the Congress doesn't. The Congress can make their case with the Cassidy Hutchinson. The DOJ can't. Sorry, go ahead. They, right. they can make their case, but again, I was talking about in terms of a trial scenario right, right, and right, right. ultimately getting. But but there's so much more here that makes Americans scratch their head and give the old WTF. Right. For example. What the hell is going on with the Secret Service, yeah. right? So they have their emails from January 5th and January 6th. Text, text. Then they don't. The text message is yeah. right. And then they don't, and now they do again. So these texts, obviously, these communications oh, have been subpoenaed by the committee. Is that being done to corroborate Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony? And which side of the law... Do we feel that the Secret Service falls on? Because I never thought of that agency as being partisan or particularly partisan. But then again, they're a branch of law enforcement. What do you know about all this? That's a fair going bit. On? All right. The Secret Service. Man. Um, uh, yeah, you would think straight and true. Look, first, they do have a history of being squirrely. Second, much worse under Trump, as you know better. Uh, Dan Ornato, who's who's a total and he's a caddy who Trump elevates. He's the guy who's running the detail. Um, and no, uh, no, that's Dan. That's Dan Scavino, who is the caddy. Yeah. Oh, oh I'm sorry. So or, how's Ornato come to uh, to Trump's attention? Or Ornato was the deputy chief to the. That's what he became. Uh, what they he brought him to, to the Chief White of House. Staff. But anyway, I have no idea where he came from. I never heard his name. All right. Before. But anyway, the guys in charge of the detail is an absolute Trump um, partisan. So we got two things to worry about in terms of the evidence. And then I'll get to the the loss of the evidence. Point one is we want all the all the evidence and it's out there for sure. Even the people who are saying Cassidy Hutchinson uh you know is wrong uh and that's it's just a hearsay point to is that trump grabbed the wheel or whatever we do know everybody agrees he was totally uh manic about wanting to get to the capitol and lead the charge of his folks and that's that goes right to his state of mind and what he you know and the uh his acceptance or even encouragement of violence and then there's this much darker possibility to look at you know, Mike Pence says to to Ornana, "I'm not, I'm not letting you take me anywhere." And uh, there's the real possibility. You know, Pence smelled a rat that somehow they were in on an overall coup. Remember, Grassley said Pence wouldn't be around, so are they trying to squire him away? So that's what the evidence would show. Now, the Secret Service. Um, you know, you would normally think of them as straight up, but maybe not maybe just kind of um, incompetent. They're, they were going, you know, changing out their text, but they were all had already been told to preserve it. And it's no not a little thing, you know, what happened on January 5th and 6th. 
uh, the the agents individually were told to preserve it and they appeared um, not to do it. And um, uh, they've now they've been really squirrely in the past and here about uh, in particular, do they or don't they? They, they, they've said they weren't malicious about it, whatever that means. But they've also said, but then backed away from, do they have anything probative? But look, 2022, there's a lot of tools here. They are giving up by tomorrow the physical things. We may well get forensic to be able to get to the bottom. And I'll just say one more thing because it's such a tangled web. They are already crosswise with the inspector general there who's had some strikes against him too. So... But the normal like presumption, as you say, of regularity, law enforcement, it doesn't apply to these guys. They're too close to Trump. They've had too much trouble in the past. And the evidence that they could possess that that they've gotten rid of in the text is just too potentially valuable. Yeah, well, look, I think with the IG, you're referring to Michael Horowitz. No, I have no, 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 no. I'm talking this. about oh. the IG for DHS. Oh, I see. I yeah. see. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I, I have no regard for any of them because none of them seem to want to do anything. Well, he whether in particular has Congress, had, yeah, is a Trump guy who's had some troubles. Same thing with Michael Horowitz. Same, same thing with Horowitz. He, is, he wants to do nothing for nothing. At the end of the day, Ted Lieu, Hakeem Jeffries, Congressman Steve Cohen. Now, everybody's been sending letters to Michael Horowitz asking, we want some documents yeah. regarding an unconstitutional remand of a U.S. citizen, right? I mean, First Amendment? doesn't mean anything. Our Constitution doesn't mean anything if, in fact, that you have a wannabe dictator and all we're doing is worrying about, you know, corroborating Cassidy Hutchinson's hearsay test. I, again, the problem is <laughs> government runs slow. I can't go all the way with you, but you and I agree on this, actually. I'm, I'm very ambivalent about Horowitz, who generally has a lot of respect, but I think he really really didn't didn't do play it straight with McCabe it it, it et cetera. Nope. So but but anyway I can't go yep. all the way with you, Michael, but I can go yeah, two well, thirds. I, I pre- <laughs> appreciate that. But right. look, speaking about going, right? Yep. I got a kick out of a tweet that you put out recently where you said, and I'm gonna quote, there's a certain satisfaction in seeing Bannon who likes to pretend he's a swashbuckling pirate, reduced to a meek supplicant before the prospect of jail and the crucible of the court. And there will be more as he tries to smuggle in bullshit defenses at trial, ever thus with rogues. I mean, beautifully put. Uh, I couldn't, listen, I could not have put it, you know, better myself. Now, if you would, give me your prediction for Bannon and and the whole gang. Who's going down? Bannon's going down probably this week. They'll pick the jury today. The the U.S. will do its whole case Tuesday. Bannon will try to sneak little stuff in of the sort that the court has said he can't do. Try to suggest, oh, I thought that Trump was, was you know, le- letting me and that uh, was telling me not to testify. That's wrong on the facts, irrelevant on the law. So that he'll try to sneak it in. I don't think it'll go anywhere. His only hope is for some crazy MAGA single juror to sort of nullify. The only example we've had with a crazy juror MAGA is, is someone who actually wound up doing the right uh, the right thing in a previous trial. He's got nothing to stand on. I think he goes down, you know, by the end of the week. I also think, Michael, historically, they, they don't do this very much, the DOJ, and the, the last three times in the 
15 years or so that they have, the guy didn't, the defendant didn't have jail time. I think Bannon's going to get jail time because uh, he's been such a jackass and has so thumbed his nose at the law. Uh, at least that was, you know, and, and until he was uh, coming right up against it as he is now. And it's also the case once he once he loses here um, that, you know, this is we've been talking about this with Meadows, too. When they can re subpoena him. But we got the exact same timeline problem, because even though he loses on, you know, this week, he can appeal. You know, he'll try to come up with some legal um uh, phony baloney issue and then until it runs its course he's not done what about rudy colludi giuliani what about sydney powell oh i see who's what yeah. about i think i think i think so i know these are in their crosshairs and whether or not they go after them will have you know we'll have to do with sort of how the in how the overall investigation shapes up but yeah i think eastman clark and powell are all in all in serious trouble right now you know, Giuliani, he he's a very strong candidate like Trump for for being a, a seditious conspirator, saying, you know, the exact same thing. But that that's the thing I've told you that, you know, they haven't stitched up exactly for who did it. And he's, you know, obviously a lying machine, but um, it it's less cl- clear. I mean, the guy maybe deserves it as much as anyone, but it's less clear the criminal charges against him. I see. So I see Powell in trouble. I, Meadows ought to be in trouble. And I think uh, that'll be a, a question of, you know, what the department can kind of pry loose. Uh, Powell, Eastman, Clark, that's, you know, that's already a lot. And um, possibly, you know, depending on on some of their testimony and stuff, I can see, you know, Don Jr., um, so look, I do think as people that, oh my God, is he going to get away with it? What they're considering too much only Trump. There will be criminal, um, I think indictments, convictions and the gang as well as Trump, but the gang will go down as, you know, a, a bunch of organized criminals inhabiting the white house. Yeah. Well, that's true. So let me ask you this then, Harry. With this abortion ban, yeah. it feels like we've crossed the Rubicon into authoritarianism. For real. When the Supreme Court reversed Roe, they had no clue what they were doing. States may have wanted to ban abortion, but the confusion experienced by law enforcement, by doctors, pregnant women seeking an abortion in those states, it's unfathomable. And this is just the beginning. I think you probably That's agree with me. That's the main thing. This the, really this is... Ugly with a capital U. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. That's for sure. Now, they're going to use that originalism, what the founders would do, bullshit, to mean anything that they wanted to. How do we, I mean, short of voting these assholes out, how do we protect our rights? Right. I mean, are there legal avenues here to get rid of these people? You know, the short answer is no. I just flashed on that scene, I'm going to get it wrong, in Animal House where they, you know, it's preceded by Belushi saying, no, we'll fight back. But Matheson says, we're fine. You know, they dropped the bomb. We're done. Um, I I hear and I'm, you know, um, buoyed a little by everyone's wanting to get involved in the political process and the like. But they dropped the big one. It is a constitution. They're not going back on it. But here, I think it is just at the beginning. They kind of tried, I think. 
in the opinion to say we're just getting rid of this one egregiously wrong uh, case. But as you say, their reasoning didn't hold up very well. And the and the dissent had a field day um, saying, you know, if you think this is wrong, well, why why wouldn't same sex marriage be wrong? Why wouldn't contraception be wrong? And the big point that I think people didn't appreciate at the time is there are social forces that they have, you know, inflamed who are ready to press these issues. Now, they're not going to press the issue of, say, uh, marriage to someone of another race. So so that won't happen, although the, the court, who knows what it would say if it did. But these other issues, they can't just say, oh, we're good guys. We only wanted to do Roe because let's go with same-sex marriage. 35 states still have it on the books. One of them is going to revive it. And even though they shouldn't, it'd be unconstitutional, but they did it in Dobbs. They'll just pass a law that's against the then uh, extant, you know, uh, Supreme Court precedents. Somebody will try to get a license from a same sex, a same sex couple. It'll be denied. And it's a lawsuit time. It's America. And then it goes up to the Supreme Court. What are they supposed to do? You have people on the ground who are being really harmed. They can't get married, even though the Constitution says it's guaranteed. Maybe they duck it once, maybe they duck it twice, but it's in front of them. And whatever they, even if they wouldn't want it to be there, it'll come. And we already know two or three of the justices say that oh, that the decision was decided wrong. It'll be thrust in their face. They'll have this kind of bankrupt decision in Dobbs to have to deal with. It's ugly. And so I just, I think both in the abortion area where they where they vain, crazily thought they'd settled it. You know, we've got things like life begins at conception or the North North Carolina North Dakota is talking about making it um, um, murder and you know in, and in, and imprisoning the woman. Um, uh, what about rape and incest? There's just going to be stuff because there are people out there who are now really revved up and are going to keep pushing the issue because they want basically um, abortions to disappear. Oh, this one, you know, Kavanaugh, forget what he, the idea that the court's not going to have to decide what happens if you are in a state that bans abortion and you go to another state, that's a joke. It's going to happen and there are going to be people in those states that are going to go after those guys and the court's going to have to do it. So I think we are. So that's abortion stuff. And then other things like same sex marriage, uh, you know, this is to the extent the court wanted to say, we're just, you know, dealing with this one egregiously wrong precedent. No way. No way. Yeah, that's as much that's as much a lie as when they were standing, you know, I should say sitting, you know, for their confirmation. And they basically lied to the American people, claiming that it was starry decisis. But question, because I'm a huge, huge um, Animal House fan. Are you referring to like when Blutarski turned around and said nothing is over until Frank, we you know, say until it's we decide over. it is? Yeah, was but it I'm over talking about when the, the Germans line, bombed Pearl I'm talking Harbor? about the line right Hell before no. that line. Exactly. <laughs> And, you know, so the line right before that line, when Matheson has just gotten beat up, uh, you know, the uh, the what's his name? Boone, is it? No, the Boone's my actually next door neighbor who was played the president for during. Yeah, but he says, like, you know, we're we're screwed. Uh, you know, the president. Yeah, lowered Warmer, the boom, dro- and then Warmer, dropped, Warmer dropped the big one. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That was D-Day D- who turned around and said, you know, war's over, man. Yeah. Right. Warmer dropped the big one. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know. Well, you know. <laughs> over? Alito dropped what? the big one. It's not over until he said. Yeah. 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 What a bunch of it. I mean, seriously, it's a bunch of assholes. And I hate to say it. 
there's going to come there's going to come a time that this is this is going to create I hate to say it a civil war in this country because they're they're now treading on rights that people have become accustomed to. Mm. You know, I was speaking the other day with a young, you know, college um, influencer and so on. I had him on the podcast and I was asking him, how do young ladies in college, how do young men in college feel, right? What's going to happen when they turn around and they say, um, you know, that the morning after pill or, or prophylactics is illegal, it's illegal because if life begins, right? Um, the IUD, right. Right. And so, I mean, it's all of this is going to create all sorts of civil rights problems. And you have this Southern white Christian coalition, this evangelical group that believes that, you know, it's it's improper that every time that you engage in a sexual act, if by chance, you know, the good Lord sees fit that you should become pregnant, you got to have that child, including if it's a 10-year-old that gets raped. I mean, they're they're out of touch with reality or the reality that we've lived with for the last 50 years. And that's why I constantly tell these young people, if you give a shit about your constitutional rights, if you care about the democracy of this country, you best pick your asses up in November. You better right now start getting out there and mobilizing and becoming the important Gen X, Y, and Z force that you guys are that will change the outcome of all of these elections. But like I said, you know, we'll see. Um, I certainly it's funny. hope that I mean, they do. They're very do. passionate. But- but then, then, then when it comes time to vote, the numbers do plummet. I did the same thing as you, Michael, because yeah. I understand why this is being played out in terms of the tragedy of the ten-year-old or good stories like that. But you know, this is this for you. Just have to think of a whole generation of of women, who, you know, and something goes wrong with contraception, or you for you know, life life happens, and they get they get pregnant. That's really where by the millions people are people's rights are being abridged. So, Harry, let me let me stay on the same subject for a second. Is there more that the executive branch could do um, to protect abortion rights? Because I've heard ideas being floated around like um, they could set up clinics on federal property in red states and the state's governments could do little to nothing about it. Right. In theory, to me, It sounds dicey when the federal government moves against the state. I mean, that to me sounds like war. But are there outside the box ideas that the Biden administration could enact legally that would help? And I mean, help right now, not down the road. Yeah. The ones I've seen and I've looked at them, you know, it's really at the margins. Take the thing you said, because remember, we've got one other thing in this country, the Hyde Amendment, which says the federal government can't spend any money on abortions. So as long as that's on the book, you you can't set up that clinic. And really, you know, what can Biden do? He can order around the executive branch, which is big. But, you know, so he wants to be sure, say, that the uh, morning after pill or even the the plan B pill are um, are legal in terms of the um, Federal Drug Administration. He can do that. But that doesn't mean that the state can't outlaw abortions and the use of that pill. The short answer is there's I don't think there's very much the president can do, especially because this problem, as everyone recognizes, 
hits so much uh, harder on poor women and women of color. And when you're when you're in the federal government, you're not allowed to spend a nickel on abortions. You know, you need a legislative solution at a minimum. It's not with this court, by the way, Michael, even if they even if there were three new um, Democratic senators elected and Manchin went, you know, home to his West Virginia uh, retirement and whatever. It's coal mine. Yeah, uh-huh. it's not it's not, you know, this court, you the the Congress could pass a statute supposedly codifying Roe versus Wade, but the court might say, no, you don't have the power to to do it. They're there in the background, too. It's a it's a really grim time. I will say this, you know, I mean, I'm getting old. It might be after my lifetime, but I don't think this will stand. I don't think the United States will be alone among civilized countries in its harsh treatment of abortion. I think the case will go will be eventually overruled and will go down as a you know real aberration for the Supreme Court. But that could be you know a generation or two. I don't, I don't know. Not when you have these three that's there with Thomas. And well, yeah, I, that's what. Yeah, I, I don't see any. I don't see anything good here. So yeah. look, maybe you know better than I do. But in all these states where voter suppression has yeah. been installed over the last few years. Yeah. Are there groups out there fighting it? I mean, and let's let's imagine the worst that the Supreme Court allows state legislators to call elections. I mean, call me fucking crazy. Some people do. Many people do. But that to me seems like a recipe again for civil war. Is there a coordinated endgame here, Harry? I mean, is this the end of America as we know it? Because one thing I could promise you, and I've heard Trump, and this is not hearsay. This is me sitting in the fat man's room, listening to him talking about Vladimir Putin when he said, and I've quoted this many times, maybe even to you on this podcast, it doesn't matter who you vote for. All that matters is who's counting the votes. Now, just to, if you go back to my earliest podcast, it's two years already now, just about, um, I've been saying the same thing. Over and over again. These are words that are uttered from the fat man's mouth. All right. While, of course, ketchup was slopping down after eating a burger or some other shit. Right. But my point is, and I'm not joking now. But he's the healthiest president of all time in history. It's been declared. (laughs) Yeah, just asked by Ronnie Jackson, another asshole. So my point is, I keep talking about this as being a civil war. And this isn't a civil war between male, female. It's not a war between black and white. This is basically, this is a civil war for our democracy. Yeah, this between minority who want to keep ruling and majority. Look, so you're right. You're really good at putting your finger on the things that are really most uh, dangerous in the country. So I'll say a couple of things. You say, is there a fight? So half of what's happening are individual statutes that under the bogus guise of um, voter fraud enact measures that just make it harder for certain voters to vote. And who are those voters? Disproportionately Democrats and even more disproportionately, again, as always, poor voters and and uh, people of color. Are there fights going on? Yes. But the places where they're, you know, th- th- those fights are in the local courts to try to reverse them. And there's been some big 
big victories already by the forces of evil here. And, you know, so and we're talking about important states like Georgia and Florida and Texas. And, you know, like good guys like Mark Elias are fighting it tooth and nail. But when, if a court upholds it, it's already going to be the new rules of the game starting in November. And so that's that's a problem. But on the other hand, there are there are, uh, statutes of the you know other sort also being passed. That's that is um, worrisome and basically going uh, slightly for Republicans. Now the other thing you're talking about the state legislatures that's the craziest ass thing ever. The court took a case uh, that said that um, sets up a, an an issue that nobody ever took seriously but now with this court you have to and the idea is the inclusion of the word legislatures in the 12th amendment of the constitution means yep. legislatures without regard to the courts in the states so like the, the case that's come before them north carolina says what you know what when we do when we say legislatures we mean we then you know uh like with anything else hold it up for um, fidelity to our basic state constitution. And so state courts can, but there's a, a possibility, and this is mind blowing, that the Supreme Court would hold as a matter of federal law <laughs> that individual state courts cannot hold that state legislative conduct is, uh, cannot reverse it. And what does that mean? 30 legislatures are controlled by Republicans, and it could be the ugliest, nastiest, you know, uh, high noon heist in the in the history of the um, Republic. It's possible they would be empowered to just say, "No, okay, I know you. I know guys voted for Biden, but uh, we're saying Trump," and and that as a as a matter of federal constitutional law they get to do it now you would if something like that happens and it's so patently overturns the will of the people that really does sound like the kind of thing that people you know crash the ramparts for you know we're a stable democracy but you know the last few years have really put pressure on us and if if it's so rank as that yeah you know uh people are going to want to create two different countries etc it's freaking crazy Look, I've been known to say that we are not entitled to democracy. Democracy yeah. is not a right. It's something that we live by. And it's obviously easy, you know, to have to be taken from us. But I want to ask you this then. With all this chaos that Republicans are causing, has Democrats organized and are they ready for November? I mean, because... I don't think so. I mean, it just, it just, I don't see it. But what I have seen and what I've noticed is that Kamala Harris is getting more and better press. Now, Biden, on the other hand, is doing the work of two men at a half his age. I mean, he looks, epi as, my, as my grandmother used to say, he looks epispecocked. He looks <laughs> like he's really falling <laughs> apart here, right? Yeah. Is all of this part of a strategy by the White House to keep the achievements of the Biden administration front and center, or is it just random nonsense that's going on? Because either way, in my opinion, it can't hurt Biden's poll numbers. I mean, they're fucking dismal. Now, do you see any of this stuff and any of the hard work that Biden and Harris are putting in? Do you see this as somehow bouncing back? 
in terms of poll numbers? Is this going to be some type of an assistance when it comes to November or to, of course, the general election and so on? Well, so look, we are really out of my expertise, but I've got a citizen's opinion. It does seem to me that, you know, they're basic. And I'll take it. All right. Citizen <laughs> ha- citizen it. Harry reporting, Sir Michael. Um, it does seem to me that, for starters, the fundamentals of the economy, but just the fundamentals of the job he's doing uh, are really well stronger than people's perception seems seem to be, though in politics, perception drives so much. But I also I can appreciate the frustration people in the White House are like, you know, all right, they've 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 taken some uh, it on the chin a little with in with inflation of late. But otherwise, he's he's really run a string of accomplishments. And maybe because he's old or maybe because the Republicans only focus is just, you know, trashing all things Democratic. I don't think he's getting uh, the, the, the credit he could. And there is, I think, a cleavage between him and the candidates. But then the second my second uninformed opinion about the Democrats, you know, compared with the Republicans. Republicans, they don't have it together because they're a party of much more of fractious coalitions, and they just aren't very good at sort of agreeing on a basic approach and and ramming it through. So every time there's pressure on them, it's it's sort of revealed to be kind of you know like the Venn diagram kind of begins to split apart and and stuff. So you know so on some very basic strategic decisions where there are right calls and wrong calls to make and who should be able to make them better than political experts. You know, do you do you run against Trump or not? Do you run on Biden's record or or not? Do you run to the the suburban voter or to the left? I all I'm noticing here, because I'm not an expert in the final word on them, is there's just not agreement in the Democratic Party and they go back and forth and sort of debate and the time is clicking. Um, the, the thing that seems to, to to have buoyed their prospects the most has the least to do with them. And that is the Dobbs um, opinion and, you know, which, which so many people are revolted by and sort of Trump's going too far, maybe even the January 6th hearing so that's that's the right now the hope for the salvation not of the party that you know look i am a democrat but if i weren't i know a lot of good republicans who'd be rooting for them because the prospects of a takeover now by you know what mccarthy is speaker of the house mcconnell and now potentially you i I wonder what your opinion on this because everyone assumes it i i don't think it's it's so true but with trump supposedly to announce his candidacy imminently you know we are talking about looking in straight at a freight train of um you know ro- rolling over the our it, it's like perils of pauline with the democracy with our democracy on the tracks i mean it's just yeah i don't a- believe apart he's from democrat republican um yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm sorry, I, I don't I don't believe. Yeah, I don't believe Trump is going to run. Interesting. Uh, a lot of people okay, saying, oh, the only way that he can get out of his legal perils yeah. is if he runs. It's not true. Hey, it's not I, true. Running for presidency. I mean, yeah. It's right. So even if he wins, he's not out of it. That's right. Um, you know, it doesn't make a difference. And on top of that, he knows he cannot win. Yes, yeah. he will take. And he hates the to lose more than right? We are in the and, minority, but right, I'm so happy to hear you say right. that. And and I know it because it stops the grift and he's pulled down hundreds. I mean, like three, three fifty, four hundred million so far. It's like five times better than The Apprentice. Why would he stop? He'd rather be a power player where he can grift 
off of these people. And he doesn't need to be the president to grift. And by being the president, puts him, again, back into the spotlight. You know, would he like to? Sure. If he could steal the election and do what Putin, you know, would say to do, right? Which is, again, it doesn't matter who you vote for. All that matters is who's counting the vote. If he could set it up, then you know that he would do it. But if he has to run and you're going to have people like DeSantis and others running against him, and while they're all kissing his fat ass now, it makes no difference. They are going to be cruel. They're going to be mean and vicious. And truth, I'm just not sure. And they got some material to work with, you know. Uh, yeah, you think? So look, Harry, the, the hour goes by quick. And so oh, wow, I have one yeah. last question Okay, for shoot. You. Really, I have, one, I have one last question. What's the role of the press now, right? In your opinion, are they rising to the occasion or are they falling down on the job? And I talk about the press a lot, and I have a new book that's going to be coming out very okay. soon where I bring the press into it as well. Because my opinion, I still think they cover Trump too much, and they rail on Biden every single chance that they can get. Now, I know that you write for the LA Times, so you have... Yeah. Obviously, first-hand experience here. Tell us, tell us all what journalists are and should be doing right now in terms of you know covering this maniac. Yeah, and it's first. It's so true. They just blew it in 2015. So they're just thinking, oh, it's it's fanciful and entertaining, and they they empowered him. Look, their job is to speak truth to power, right, and to and to get it basically right. You know, I think there's a little bit of on the one hand, on the other hand, but essentially the press and the courts, essentially with certain, um, you know, um, failures or certain outlying things, they've come through pretty well. And I and I notice that when I think about the press, because with some frequency, the January 6th committee or or individual um, uh, government things will be actually piggybacking off the press. They'll found things from the press. I've done a series of we we do on talking feds, also talking books, and I've said so the you know the books by the big journalists, Rucker and Lenig and Woodward and Costa, et cetera. They've really advanced um, the ball. And in general, I don't think they've made mistakes. I agree. And of course, you know, I've stopped doing Fox News because I don't consider it anymore a press thing. But that's a big part of the problem. But I don't think, unlike uh, so many members of the you know political offices and citizens, they haven't been fooled by Trump. And, they, they, you know, they've pretty much done their their job i'm trying to think what it would be like you know i'm thinking of russia or something had they been uh you know had they folded up their tent so between them and the courts you know we're we're holding on by our fingernails but without them i i think it'd be a lot worse so i'm basically a minus on the press over these last few years what about you uh yeah i would give it more like a c minus at best unfortunately they got so much wrong Uh and 
I give them, I, I don't give them a failing grade. You know, I give yeah. them a C. Okay. Why, why a C? Well, sim- simply because they got so much wrong because Captain Chaos had so much going yeah. on that they abandoned their journalistic obligations by, you know, reaching out to verify, you know, information. And when information well, oh, oh, is oh, coming from- Oh, you mean you from, think they sucked up to him? Is that what you're saying? Or? I do. I, I do. See. I do. And I say that they sucked up to him because he was- tremendous for business mm. he just was there was so much crazy shit it's like you know i hate to say it it's like if you ever watch private parts about howard stern it's exactly the same thing yeah. people tuned into howard because they want not that they liked him yeah. they were dying to hear what he was going to say next yeah because he was so you know he was so he was a shock jock and so you know they were dying to hear what he was going to say, and so they tuned in, and they didn't tune in for five minutes, which they say was like the average, you know, time period. They tuned in for the entire episode. Same nonsense with Trump. Who knew what the fuck this idiot was going to say once he got up and he started to dance like the, you know, like the talk about making fun of the journalist who you know had neurological yeah, so issues. Bad. I know Trump that dances. Guy. Trump yeah. dances worse. You know. Yeah. So my point is yeah. that sort of stuff. It enticed people to sit to watch him. That's why all media was covering every single rally. Every time the guy got up, there was a camera there following him. He got more attention than anybody. And I Early hate to on, say it, I, well, we're giving I, him. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they didn't realize, still giving they him didn't the realize what was happening, I think. Yeah. Well, or they did realize it, and they just realized was, that financially yeah. it makes sense for them. So, look, Harry, let me just say... A lot of things need to <laughs> need to change in this country. I thank you for your time. I thank you for your, you know, for your perspective. I thank you just for, you know, keeping the fight going because come November, you know, if Democrats do poorly, I really truly do believe our democracy like so many other countries right now. You know, you're starting to see England, right? They got rid of Boris Johnson. Uh, You know, Bolsonaro in Brazil thinks he's that he's going to win. We have far right seats being taken in France and Poland. You know, it's going to become more like Hungary. It's a real problem. Troubled times, no doubt. Honestly, yes, troubled times. And we don't need that here in, um, in America. So always great to see you, my brother. And now for today's mea culpa. This week brought a landmark decision in favor of our veterans. Honoring our PACT Act finally passed, but it took a long minute and a whole lot of outrage. When it didn't pass last week, the shit finally hit the fan. So let me explain. This vital piece of legislation will assist an estimated 3.5 million military veterans. That's one in five and is a matter of life and death for those sick from exposure to toxins emitted from burn pits. Not burn pits they were exposed to by some foreign enemy, but by our own government and while they were in service to our country. Who the fuck wouldn't vote for a bill to help them? Well, the answer? Republicans. Republicans who can't see past their seething desire to own the liberals is who. And voting with the Democrats apparently really hurts. So Republicans punted, and punted badly. But when you vote against our veterans, a world of hurt is what you deserve. And that's exactly what Republicans got. Finally, they relented, but only under ginormous pressure from constituents. 
And after the hilarious, angry, and constant harassment from one of the Bills' biggest defenders, John Stewart, John Stewart has made a living defending the underdog and exposing ugly truths that exist within our system. In other words, he uses his God-given platform for good, and that's what those of us who have a platform should be doing, using it for good. So bravo, John Stewart, and all of those that work so hard to see that the pact come to life. And fuck the 11 senators who, in the end, voted against it. And then there's Rand Paul. There are no words for how despicable he is, you motherfucker. But suffice to say, there's a burn pit in hell with his name on it. But our soldiers deserve more from us. Like teachers, they are vastly underpaid and underappreciated. What do veterans get now? A full pension after serving for 20 years? Education benefits? Housing? And 30 days a year of leave? Sounds okay, but a new second lieutenant starts at only $39,000 a year. And they say full healthcare benefits for you and your immediate family. So what happened to the men and women affected by the toxins addressed by the PACT Act? Where was their healthcare, their cancer meds, their chemo? We spend billions to send them off to war and nothing to safeguarding their health. If God forbid, war makes them sick. We are one of the few countries in the world that has all volunteer army. Sure, some guys choose to serve in the military over serving time in prison, but most come to it out of a sense of American pride and a desire to be a part of something bigger than themselves. But when the country you serve so proudly betrays you, you might just blow a gasket, go a little fucking crazy. Maybe even storm the Capitol because the assholes in Washington just don't get it. There are paramilitary groups who will happily take in angry veterans and easily turn them against the system that fucking screwed them. By ignoring the needs of our veterans, in essence, we are leaving a door open for them to become radicalized or worse. Homeless, addicted, suicidal. So how are we going to get young people to serve if our military becomes a literal dead end? By opening our eyes and paying attention, that's how. So let the PACT Act serve as a wake-up call. Don't let our veterans suffer needlessly. And if you're a veteran, thank you for your service. From the bottom of my heart, I want to say it again. Thank you for your service. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth. <laughs>